Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for people who love movies, by people who love movies. I'm Sam, I'm an academic, a teacher, um, I've lectured in universities, taught in schools and I currently teach in a sixth form college teaching literature. I've spent quite a lot of my time being educated to a perhaps unwise level so I bring the more theoretical side of things to the podcast. He's Rob, he's a podcaster, editor, author, you name it, um, and he has in the past spent time in the movie business at the coalface um, to do with the visuals in particular, so he brings more of a knowledge about the practical aspects of film. Each week we talk about a movie in depth um, we look at look at it through the lens of some theories and themes um, and we always end with movies based on that movie further watching if you will based on actors or directors involved or just what we fancy talking about and at the other end of the episode, we always start by discussing what else we've been watching. So, Rob? I am trying to educate myself better about older films. I've talked in the past about how most of my knowledge of movies comes from sort of the mid-80s onwards, my, you know, within my own lifetime. And as I've got more into the films over the years, that's gone back to the 50s and the 60s. Um, but... Early cinema is not a thing I know loads about. I probably watch more what I'd call classical cinema for this podcast than I have for my own pleasure over the years. So I'm trying to correct that a little bit. Mm. Um, and I have this week watched the film The Bitter Tea of General Yen, which is a 1933 fan movie about a Western missionary who goes to China and falls in love with a Chinese warlord. It's very of the 30s, and you have to take the movie with a large pinch of salt it does feature in the role of General Yen, Niles Astor, which is not a Chinese name, as anyone guess, um, a man in yellow face. That's a large part of the movie. Once, not you can get past that, but you accept that as being how movies were done at the time, deplorable as it is. It's a very beautiful film. It's a very well-made film. And because it's what's called pre-code, so before the code of American movie making, it features, uh, as of unheard of at that time, an interracial relationship. It features the, the Chinese general and the um, American missionary falling in love. Um, so it was groundbreaking in that respect. And once the, the movie making code came in later in the decades, it just couldn't be made. So I'm glad I saw it. I think it was a very good film. Um, but anyone going into it, please be warned, it does feature a major character in Yellowface. What about you, Sam? Well, I've been trying to educate myself as all. It feels 
and the sublime, the ridiculous. Um, one thing I'm doing is still watching a series that I talked about um, a while back, Snowpiercer, um, which is, I mean, now episodes are only coming out once a week and they come out and the only time I've got to watch them is about half past nine on a Thursday evening before work the next morning and let me tell you that is not the right time to be watching a nihilistic post-apocalyptic dystopian thriller um i had some very strange dreams last thursday night i can only imagine so i've been trying to uh wean myself off that with the current series of interior design masters which i mean <laughs> If you if you told well I suppose it's it's lockdown what else can you watch? Um, I was going to say if you, if you told me a few years ago that I'd be watching a reality TV show about interior design I'd tell you insane. Um, I think part of the appeal for me is that I just have no connection to it whatsoever. I have no idea. Like I mean I'm nowhere near you in terms of. Well, I know you you or my wife in terms of baking, but I at least know how a saucepan works, and I can probably make a cake. So the Great Bridge Bake Off, I at least have some skin in the game. But Interior Design Masters, I have no <laughs> idea how to do any of this. And it's quite relaxing, like seeing someone say, oh, I've just upholstered this chair to go in the wall, I'm like... But, right, I've no idea how you do that. <laughs> so it's just, I, I quite like just sort of sit, sitting back and watching people be incredibly competent at things I have absolutely no idea about. I can understand that allure. I, I often have that with very high entry shows. Mm. Um, in the, I, I can cook, but I'm not in any way a chef. And I watch it, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, some sort of reduction or something. I have no concept of what it tastes like. Or feels like that, but I just watch the craft. Yeah. So, as Sam said at the start, there each week we pick a film and we talk around that movie. We are currently doing a little mini season, looking at Disney movies and their remakes. We've touched on a couple so far, and this week we are looking at the nine, no, the 2019 remake of a 1992 film, Aladdin. stumbled upon an opportunity I can make you rich rich enough to impress a princess what would I have to do there's a cave of wonders bring me the lamp who summons me I stand by my oath loyalty to wishes three I'm kidding watch this watch out uh, you done wound me up you ain't never had a friend like me hey can you make me a prince 
there is a lot of gray area in Make Me a Prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Y'all see my palace? You look like a prince on the outside. But I didn't change anything on the inside. Showtime. No, I'm in charge, okay? I say when it's time. Really? I thought a princess could go anywhere. Not this princess. Do you trust me? Aladdin, as in 1992, as in 2019, tells the story of Aladdin, a street rat who falls in love with the beautiful princess Jasmine uh, when she is out in the market hiding from her day-to-day life. From there, through a convoluted series of ventures, he ends up in the possession of a magic lamp and thus a genie, which he then wishes to become a prince, to woo the princess. He comes up against Jafar, the um, evil vizier, of many many tales um and the power and the battle between those two um comes to fall and is culminated via the power of friendship and magic and all of that this is the remake of the Batman 2 film as we spoke before last week as i recall we're both quite positive on the original sam did the remake which we were both a little nervous of shall we say live up to anything for you no not really i just i'm trying to find something constructive to say about this film i just didn't get on with it at all i didn't think it was very good i thought visually some of the i mean considering it's 2019 some of the visuals some of the cgi was especially shonky and i mean the the Casting has been talked about on internet forums before. Um, that wasn't great. The um, accents weren't great. It was just... And I think what it boils down to for me is a remake should bring something new. And that's what I saw in The Jungle Book. I quite liked the remake of The Jungle Book and I quite liked the different spin that it brought to bear on this tale of Mowgli. Um, that's something that and we both saw in Beauty and the Beast. I happen to like it, you happen not to at all, and that's fine. But there was at least something there. It was something new. It was a different take. It felt like a substantially different film. I mean... It, you might have thought it's a better film or a worse film, but at least it was a film. This just felt a bit samey. It just, I mean, I, I just end up thinking, well, why did this have to be made? I thought the, the 1992 one was a perfectly good film, and, and Ron Williams in particular made it made bits of it very good indeed, and... I mean, Will Smith was never going to live up to Robin Williams, and so the bits with the genie weren't as good, and 
I mean, there were times when it tried to be something different. It tried to be a different film, and I think fundamentally that didn't work. What did you think? I quite liked it. <laughs> Go on then. Now, I don't know, if, if I'm honest, sitting here with you, I don't know if I was going into this with pretty low expectations. I've been the first thing I haven't been very keen on any of the remakes so far, and I was particularly down with mm. the beast. Um, whereas this, I quite liked it. I really enjoy. I did enjoy Will Smith in the role of the genie. I thought I was very glad he didn't try and do Robin Williams. That was my big fear of this film. Is that like Robin owned that first film, and I was really glad mm. that Smith didn't do that. His genie was a much more but somewhat sharper, genius, somewhat darker. There was a bit more of a pushiness to him. And it wasn't quite as playful mm. as the Robin Williams one. So I'm glad that. I will say, I think that the, I don't know, the, the romance between Aladdin and Jasmine was a bit lukewarm. And mm. I was sad that Jafar went from being this really kind of brooding vizier in the first one to being a bit of a nothingness in this film. He kind of isn't a, a featured, really. Um, and I think there were some really awkward, terrible moments of direction, particularly in the very first song, um, One Step. There was a bizarre use of slow-mo and slightly sped-up material. I assume to try and match the cadence of the song, but it meant things that only slowed, slowed down a little bit or sped up a little bit. It wasn't like a proper slow-mo in any way. Um, mm. That being said, I thought the very opening shot, not the opening shot of, of Agrabah, where they go from the streets, through land, all up into the, into the castle, was a beautiful shot. Um, and I think the film looked amazing. I think some of the costumes looked amazing. It was very opulent. It was very, very over the top. And in the way that I found Beauty and the Beast a bit gaudy and a bit overworked, this didn't feel overworked. It just felt bright and alive. I think that... See, you? I, I was going to pick up on that. that. That was one thing that I didn't get on board with because I agree with you that it. there were times that it felt visually beautiful. And for all that, I'm thinking of the CGI in A Whole New World and that was what felt mm. particularly shonky to me for all moments I, there, there were beautiful moments as you said with the sweeping up through the streets or across the harbour or whatever but that it just felt too clean mm. it just feels too not too beautiful that's that's the wrong thing to say but it just it, it felt a bit antiseptic for me I can see what you're saying I think it's very polished i suppose is what i'd say mm, yeah. um and very clean is a word you want <clears throat> because obviously in a cartoon world things are inherently clean because they're clean lines but here you're living in the real world and especially in somewhere like, like I've, I've worked in the middle east it's not not that it's an unclean place but it's a it's not it's a very different kind of clean to what they have in the, in the show here and yes it's fantastical and all of that kind of thing but i do see what you're saying um, and i will agree i think that the the visual effect particularly swung from being very very good to being very very bad um and it felt like it needed a few months work on the post but i just think i just enjoyed it i just enjoyed it i thought that the will smith was the Breakout star for me, but I enjoyed the Sultan. I enjoyed, I enjoyed Jasmine in herself. I think that her songs didn't add anything to the movie um, mm. beyond, I suppose, an attempt by Disney to redress some kind of 
gender imbalance that they saw in the original. Um, but I didn't think it needed that. That that that's my problem with it. I think with that bit that I didn't. I was pleasantly surprised with how sort of how insightful the original was mm. and how much much a comment about gender imbalances the original was making and how much um, Jasmine was her own person in the original and I just felt at times in, in the remake you were going well yeah okay yeah the patriarch is terrible fine you're an oppressed woman I understand this you don't need to put on a music video-esque performance of that for us we get we got it in 1992 mm. i absolutely agree i think I mean, i'm the first to hold my hand up and say yes disney has not been the greatest company in the world about gender equality in its movies but jasmine is not the one you pick on overly like she yeah. in that movie she is spunky she is fighting she stands up to herself she stands up to there's a, a wonderful scene in which she absolutely destroys the three men she's dealing with like she is she is very much the author of her own destiny in this movie. I mean, she, she fights what she wants. She fights for being able to marry who she wants. All of these kind of things. Like she, it isn't a movie where I look and think, you know, they, they did Jasmine badly there. Because they don't. So I think mm. I think that, as I talked about last week with Duty and the Beast, these films feel that they need to prove why they exist. And in yes. Beauty and Beast's yeah. case, it was trying to correct the plot holes everyone saw in it. And this one, it felt like they were trying to go, look, we're now gender equal. But, you know, I couldn't name those songs that she sung. And I don't think that she added anything to the the Jasmine role. But this, to me, this is, I mean, it'll be a little beyond the text a little bit. But this, to me, is a really interesting thing that really struck me watching this film. Good or bad, we all go into this movie knowing what's going to happen. Like, mm. even, even if you, like, you, some people have just seen Aladdin recently, but like, we're watching these remakes, and because they are mostly beat for beat remakes, we know what's coming. We know the songs that are going to come in Aladdin. We know the beats that hit. And so there's this really weird experience of being like, being new to us, but also not new. And like, as a viewer, I already felt like I was trying to pretend to myself that I didn't know what was going to happen. Hmm. It's not like watching it again that you know, because when I'm looking for new details and experiencing it again, this was like, this is a new film to me. But I know all the beats that are coming, and I know them in a very specific way, in a way that, like, seeing, I don't know, another retelling of Beauty and the Beast or another retelling of you know, the Wizard of Oz story, like, you can be retold and not know, was here... I knew what was going to happen. I knew the beats were coming. I knew the trick that Aladdin would pull at the end. I knew the songs. And it was a very strange, I suppose, distancing moment for me. Hmm. Where, like, I know Sam is not the biggest fan of this person, but it felt some bastardised version of Brecht going into a yeah. movie, knowing what's happening, knowing all the beats, and experiencing it on that level. It is weird. And it's particularly strange because that idea of pretending is something that and I've been down on this film now, I'm, I'm now in the turn to talk about what I did like about this film and one thing I think did work in this film and better than the original was the way that Aladdin and Jafar both share this idea of pretending, of mm. being something they're not and fundamentally 
they are, I mean, Jafar and, and Aladdin are only honest to each other, and Jafar is only honest to Aladdin when they're having that conversation on the sand dunes, and Jafar mm. says, well, I am what you are. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an experience of the characters as well, this idea of pretending. Well, I think that's everyone is, everyone pretending to be someone they're not, even, you know, Genie, who spends a lot of the time quietly seducing the handmaiden, he's presenting himself not as a genie. Aladdin mm. obviously is the big trick of being um, being a prince and he's not. Jafar is pretending to be the kindly old advisor and he's not. And there's a lot of it's almost kind of weirdly Shakespearean in that kind of comedy of errors movies where like everyone's this person's my wife and I don't know or this person's my you know brother and I don't know. There's a lot of that kind of air to it I suppose. Yeah I can see what you're saying and it felt, I suppose, in that respect, it feels like like a performance. Everyone's performing for each other. And that is... I think that that's what um, disappointed me a little bit about the end, because the, the original feels much more satisfying in talking about performance and talking about the show that Aladdin's putting on and then the father saying that you don't need to pretend anymore I can see you're a true and honest man Mm. and then this one is like well going back to what you're saying about Disney feeling they had to do something better with gender like making Making Jasmine the Sultan is brilliant. They should have stopped there. That That is a perfect ending, and I love that. Mm. I love that change. But then they have to go, and doesn't quite make sense. Even, like, her last line, when he confesses seeing something, and she says, he says, does it matter? And she says, um, only because you got caught. I mean, that itself does not make sense. I thought about that after the film. After I finished watching the film, I thought, like, you've ended with a line that does not make sense. And mm. I think that's the film's problem. That it's, I mean, it, it went to that place with Jasmine and Seltzer, and that was brilliant. But then it tries to go a little bit further. And it's part of this pretending, as you said, and it's also part of Disney trying, trying to be something new. Yeah, I, I understand entirely what you're saying there. I think that the. The film is that, and I think you've hit a little bit of a nail on the head of what felt weird about it at times, is that that falseness, that pretend, the facade talking about, large parts of this feel like a stage play. Mm. That we've talked in the past about how certain movies, like especially like Jungle Book, like you feel like you're living, breathing forest. This felt at times a bit like they're all in this little box in the castle. And this is happening there, and it didn't feel like it had weight in the way that the original had, you know, him lifting up Agrabah, and it felt like there was a world here. This felt, you really, and that's really kind of changed my view of that a little bit. Like, it really, at times, felt to me like a stage play. Mm-hmm. And like a proscenium and arch, they're all interacting on this little performance, and we're watching. And it had that real air of that. That, yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel a lived-in world in the way that other movies have. I think that's the, the one struggling to come to terms with this, this cleanliness or this antiseptic nature of it. It doesn't 
feel authentic and authentic the wrong word again but it's it's all behind this idea of it being not be not feeling like a lived in world mm. and i i feel sort of a bit dissatisfied with it because of that yeah i can see what you're saying there rob do you have any suggestions for us i've got two suggestions um Neither have a thematic link. Both are cast and crew links. I've talked about how I like the look of the movie, and one part of that was the costumes. Now, I'll put my hand to my heart and say I can't speak to any kind of historical or cultural accuracy of these costumes, um, but I will say from me watching it as a man living in Western Europe, I thought they were very apt. They were opulent and colourful with an element of practicality, and they certainly evoked the mood of slightly heightened Middle Eastern styles that the movie was going for. The costume designer is called Michael Wilkinson, and he's done lots of movies over the years, um, but he did, back in 2010, do the sequel to Tron, Tron Legacy. This film is not well regarded, but it looks stunning. It is a beautiful looking movie, and Part of that comes from his costume design. So if you haven't seen Tron Legacy, yeah, I, I feel hard pushed to recommend it because unless you've seen the original and love the original, it isn't a great movie, but as a visual feast, it's very, very good. My second recommendation is via Naomi Scott. Naomi Scott played Jasmine. I think she was badly saddled by some awkward story and direction choices. But I do like her as an actress, and she's been in quite a lot of things over the years. Um, but the one that I'd entirely forgotten until I was researching this ep- this episode uh, was she was in a short-lived, 13-episode-long series from 2011 called Terra Nova. Terra Nova is about a family who, due to overpopulation on uh, modern Earth, Go back in time. There's a big organised effort to send people back in time, 85 million years, to live amongst the dinosaurs and rebuild civilization. then. She plays one of the daughters of the main family. It was cancelled after 30 episodes for a reason, but I really did enjoy its take on that whole people and dinosaurs trope that's often done to death these days um i'm a big lover of dinosaur movies and this is a uh, a tv show that did the science and the complexities of living in this civilization well what about you sam well my first recommendation is i think everyone will have seen it just just go back to when well well, Will Smith's been great in lots of things. He was particularly good in Men in Black. And I would urge you to go back to watch the first one if it's been a while since you've seen it. Or there, there might be people in the world who haven't seen it. If there are, what are you doing with your lives? Uh, it's been a pandemic. We've been shut inside for a year. Why haven't you been watching Men in Black? <laughs> um, and my second recommendation is... I mean, I started with a weird little dystopian TV series. I'm ending with a weird little dystopian film. Um, the link here is Mama Kanzari, who's the uh, Dutch actor who plays Jafar. And you've, you've, you've talked about how it's a bit of a disappointment in, in this because more could have been made of him. 
um, and he can get his teeth into a role slightly better in this this film. Um, it's called What Happened to Monday from 2017, um, and it's a new Rapace as um, every single one of seven identical sisters. Um, this this is no spoiler. This is the premise. There are seven identical sisters living in a dystopian future where siblings are not allowed because of the overpopulation of the earth. So they have to live as one woman, and they each live on a day of the week. So they have to Monday to Sunday exist as one person, and they come together at the end of every day to share memories of of what has happened during the day um and they have to um if they they fall ill or they injured in any way then they all have to suffer in the same way mm. so it's is quite an interesting premise it's not the best film but it's worth watching and Markins are is very good in it um so yes if you've got it's not that long, I think. You've got a couple of hours. Then uh, you can watch what happened to Monday after you've seen Men in Black. Of course, of course. So, guys, that was our look at the Aladdin original reboot. Next week, we are, I say moving on, but actually going back in time. We're going back in time for the original and then forward in time a little bit for the sequel remake. Uh, we are looking at the 1994 movie, The Lion King. Um, a film that plays on loop in my house till then guys you can find both of us or just me probably at this point in time online at Prestige Podcast you can get me by sending an email to prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com and you can find just me if you want me at Kaiju FM till then guys we'll be back in two weeks with The Lion King <laughs>